and welcome to the Vexillogicast. From the home of the first and second National Bank of the United States, I'm Simon the Cannibal. In this episode, we'll be talking about what in the world is vexillology? This is the introductory episode that I mentioned that would be the famed episode 8 that you should definitely tell your parents and your friends and your family to listen to if you're trying to get them into the study of flags or to explain why you like flags. And I've certainly not set myself up for failure by overselling this episode. Before we get into that, however, I should mention that, as always, you can find images of these flags and links to the things that I'm talking about on vexillogicast.com. That is V-E-X-I-L-L-O-G-I-C-A-S-T dot com. And you can discuss this episode on the subreddit r slash Simon the Cannibal. Finally, if you liked this episode or you like these series so far, might I ask once again that you support me on Patreon? Just pledge a dollar or so, and um, every episode I'll make a couple of bucks to pay for bandwidth and and possibly an upgrade to my equipment. And possibly more importantly, I'd much appreciate it if you rated me on iTunes. Thank you in advance, and with no further ado... So, what is vexillology? It comes from the Latin word... Uh, Vexil or vexillum, which is the standard, the, the flag, the thing that armies marched under, and ology suffix from Greek, meaning the study of. So it is one of those, uh, the mixed Latin and Greek words. And you should notice that I'm pronouncing it vexillology. I've heard it pronounced vexillology, but I feel that that would be like pronouncing geology as geology. Vexillology seems to come a little bit more natural to my tongue, but I suppose you're welcome to pronounce however you'd like. Vexillology is a subdiscipline of heraldry, or at least can be viewed as such. Heraldry, of course, being the study of coats of arms, so that courts or whichever medieval entities wanted to know who was coming in to see them would know before they actually got there. So someone could say, oh, there's this knight riding up, he's got a big eagle on gold, you know, who is that riding my way? Is he a friend? Is he a foe? Where is he coming from? And all this would be gathered knowledge that a court herald would know either by heart or through the study of different books. As I mentioned in a previous episode, flags really came into their own at, during the Age of Sail. They were used prior to this, obviously, used in ancient times, um... In fact, it is my understanding that a vexillum was also a unit, the one of the sizes of units in the Roman army that was the smallest size to carry a flag. Certainly during battles, flags flew so that different individuals could know which group of soldiers they should be running toward to fight and which group of soldiers they should be hanging out with to not fight because at some point a sea of brown leather armor and shiny plated armor might not be so obvious who's friend and who's foe. But really, the Age of Sail is, I feel, and from what I've seen, the start of the use of flags as a national piece of identification. At the tail end of the Age of Sail, we have the Age of Patriotism. And no longer do you have large groups of knights or individual fiefs going to fight a war, but rather you have national armies, often equipped with often equipped with guns and cannons and that sort of thing, 
lining up against each other and rallying around a flag. I feel that the French armies really stand out here as rallying around a flag. Certainly it was used across the European continent, but really, I mean, you see something like the painting Liberty Leading the People, and you know that there is something about this flag as a national symbol, as a patriotic symbol, especially amongst the armies. So we've moved from the Age of Sail into the Age of Patriotism, I'm going to say, and from that, I think, you jump to the age of civic pride and flags as a political symbol. And again, this is a bit of conjecture on my part, but at the end of the 19th century, you have these people, these veterans who've served under flags, coming home and wanting to be proud of their city or their political party or whatever it might be. And you have things like the red banner of socialism coming in. This is no longer a fighting banner per se, Rather, it is a flag for an idea, the idea of socialism. You have a, the black flag of anarchism. And so the flag takes on more than just, let's rally around this as an army, let's rally around this as a nation, let's identify that boat. But rather, here is something that I believe in, and I'm going to put it on a flag to show that I believe it. And this is something that I can hang outside my house, or I can wear on my lapel, or whatever it might be. And I think around the turn of the century, that is... A, a, around 1900, you'll find that that's the real start of flags for government entities that cannot field an army, especially from an American point of view. It is likely, if you're listening to this podcast, that your city or county has a flag, and that that city or county flag was designed after 1900, probably before 1950. And this is certainly true of uh, good flags like the flag of Washington, D.C., the flag of Chicago, the flag of St. Louis, and also some really atrocious flags, as well as the more common uh, seal-on-a-bedsheet flags, like the flag of Philadelphia and the flag of New York. These do not date before 1900. And following this age of civic pride and political flags, we really see the democratization of flags. And this is what I think is the current fascination with flags, and why this podcast exists. And a lot of that credit goes to Whitney Smith, uh, who is a vexillologist and actually coined the term vexillology in a 1958 article uh, called Flags of the Arab World. There's really been an explosion in flags as symbols of smaller and smaller groups. In fact, I could walk about two blocks out of my house and find some flags of the neighborhood of Fishtown in Philadelphia, showing a kind of Fishtown pride something that you certainly wouldn't have seen even as recently as half a century ago. I mean, who would have made a flag for a neighborhood? So to go back to Whitney Smith just a little bit, he's really the kind of centralized guy who started studying flags and what made them interesting and what made them good. Uh, he's the person who designed the flag of Guyana. He has a couple of designs out there for things like Antarctica and other areas. And he founded the North American Vexillological Association, also known as NAVA, the first international congress of vexillology, which turned into the International Federation of Vexillological Associations, uh, known by its French acronym FIAV, and I won't try and say the French name, and just really a big, big guy in the world of flag design. And I should point out that there are, he's an American, and there are two British gentlemen who stand head and shoulders above others in vexillology, who are Graham Bartram and William Crampton, but I don't know a whole lot about them. To fast forward a little bit, I wanted to talk about another current flag celebrity who is Ted Kay. 
Ted Kay at one point was the editor of Nava's journal, The Raven, uh, which is a scholarly journal about flags. And he came up with the oft-cited pamphlet, Good Flag, Bad Flag, which is where a lot of people draw inspiration from when it comes to creating a flag. Very simply, Ted's pamphlet lays out the five principles of flag design, which are as follows. Keep it simple. The flag should be so simple that a child can draw it from memory. Two, use meaningful symbolism. Three, use two to three basic colors, especially contrasting colors. Four, no lettering or seals. And five, be distinctive or be related. These are very useful design principles. And I say design principles, not rules. No one's going to come to your house, beat down your door, and arrest you for making a flag that does not follow these rules. However, if you're trying to design a flag that people will use, that will inspire people, the flags that do that generally already follow these principles. As I run a vexillology contest on r slash vexillology, I see a lot of flags. I see a lot of new designs. And I get a lot of comments on how this is a very pretty design, this is a very nice design, and I will often agree, I say, especially when it comes to things with coats of arms or seals or flags with lettering on them, and I say, yes, this is a very striking image. How does it work as a flag? I mean, yes, the Mona Lisa or whatever you might pick out as a, a wonderful painting looks wonderful, but you don't see many people flying the Mona Lisa as a flag because it fails at being simple. It fails at being on top of a flagpole. I find girls pretty. I'm not going to put a girl on top of the flagpole. Unless, of course, she is going for pole sitting uh, in a retro 1920s fad of stylitism. Which, by the way, I should say, uh, as, as a name reference, uh, I might be Simon the Cannibal, but there exists a St. Simeon the Stylite who is famous for sitting atop columns as an aesthetic exercise. So, yes, as with any designed object, there are people who thought of the design there are people who need to use the design in some way, and that intersection in regards to these fabric things that go out and fly in the wind is what vexillology is all about. These are fabric objects that people have to see, they have to use, they have to know, and they have to create. And if it falls down on any of those fronts, it's just not a good flag. And I feel that the five elements of flag design really bolster a newly created flag from falling down on any of those fronts. So that's a little bit about vexillology and the abstract vexillology in the historical senses. Hopefully you're a little bit interested in learning more, and hopefully you have learned some more from my podcast. But might I recommend that you go check out the podcast Hello Internet by CGP Gray and Brady Heron. They talk a little bit about flags. If you like design in general, and of course flag design, you should check out 99% Invisible by Roman Mars, who just gave a wonderful TED Talk on flag design. Every once in a while, The Gist has Ted K on to talk about flags. And I'm sure there are other podcasts recorded about flags, and I assume that's what you're interested in because you are listening to a podcast about flags. If you're looking at videos about flags, both CGP Grey and Brady Heron have done videos on flags, which I recommend you watch if you're so interested. And there's a gentleman in the subreddit r slash vexillology who just started a YouTube series on the history of flags, which you might get a kick out of as well. Of course, there are dozens, perhaps scores of books written about the history of flags, the symbolism of flags, 
and that sort of thing that you can check out, and I can't recommend any offhand. And might I recommend, especially if you're in the United States, going to visit your state capital, or at least the museum around your state capital, because more often than not, they will have a museum exhibit on the flags used by the state. More often than not, these are flags used by regiments during the Civil War. So yes, I, I hope that you've learned what vexillology is, where flags came from, how the study began, what makes a good flag, and where to find more information about flags. I hope while you learn these things, you also enjoyed the podcast. Again, I recommend you head to vexillogicast.com, that is V-E-X-I-L-L-O-G-I-C-A-S-T dot com for links to these various resources. And I'd much appreciate it if you could throw a dollar or two my way on Patreon and shoot a review on iTunes. I hope you have a wonderful week. I will see you next week with the Flag of the Netherlands. But until then, best wishes from the Vexillogicast. Cast.